0: I don't get it. A great historical landmark is about to fall. And no one turns out. But let some moron hit an ice skater in the knee and a million reporters show up. Hey, Mr. Bundy. Aaron, I knew I could count on someone who played for poke high.
1: Well, I saw your flyers. Good,
0: then Bud is doing his job.
1: He is if you told him to stuff him in a trash can about a block from here. But all the guys from the gym are talking about it. Great. What are they saying? They hear Haguar pays $15.40 an hour plus medical. They're really psyched.
0: Doesn't anybody care about preserving our heritage?
1: Well, I thought selling out to the highest bidder was our heritage. Let's <laughs> rock.
2: Thanks, Dad.
0: Can I get a open? Whoa, buddy.
3: No Man Presents, live from... Bar, the Married with Children Podcast.
4: Welcome back to the Down Under Bar here in sunny Australia. My name is Matt, and I'm, and I'm chained to the goalpost of my old high school's football field.
5: And my name is Annabelle, and I'm about to enter a convent, and I wanted to be with a real podcast my first, last, and only time.
6: Hi, this is Luigi, and today I am in the Australian nudie bar, and the people are cheering. One, two, four, three. Give the ball to Luigi. <laughs>
4: <laughs> We're reviewing season eight, episode nineteen, Field of Screams. Ed, twenty seventh of February, nineteen ninety four. Written by Al at... Ajakerman Ajakerman I'm not sure you say that Director Jerry Cohen Guest stars Hill Harper Aaron Mitchell T.U. Leak T.U. I think I said her name correctly as TV anchorwoman, Julie Bentz as Sasha Al's
1: protesting to save his old football stadium
0: Al is the first word in alamo and this sunday i will be victorious he's taking the fight to the field good move drink a big gulp then chain yourself at the goal post and all new married with children then george goes on the air to debate a local reporter he's gonna tear him a new
2: blowhole
4: <laughs> And all-new george carlin show after married with children sunday starting at 9 8 central this episode, um, the title is a, is a pun on Field of Dreams, the 1989 American fantasy drama sports film written and directed by Phil a- Alden Robinson, adapting W.P. Kinsella's novel Shoeless Joe. Stars Kevin Costner, Amy Madigan, James L. Jones, Ray Liotta and Burt Lancaster in his final film role, nominated for three Academy Awards, including Best Original Score, Best Adapted Screenplay and Best Picture. IMDb... Our good friends and quality source of episode synopses has this to say about Field of Screams. Al opposes the proposed destruction of his old high school football field to build a new auto plant, initiated by, of course, Marcy and Kyoto Bank, by chaining himself to the goalpost. Meanwhile, Buck and Bud suffer from unusual side effects after Kelly the Verminator sprays them with a new pesticide called Springtime in Baghdad. And our episode begins with Peggy watching a Verminator commercial.
7: Hi, I'm the Verminator, and guess what I've got for you? Show can. Okay.
2: The spray can, you spokes idiot!
7: I knew that. Anyway, we've got a brand new poison, and we like to call it springtime in Baghdad.
2: How new is it?
7: It's so new that it hasn't even been tested on unsuspecting American citizens yet. Just one spray of this on your dog or cat and they'll never have fleas again. And to prove it, I have volunteered my dog or cat, Buck, to demonstrate. Are you ready, boy?
0: Help me. Here we go.
4: And oh, Kelly just cannot do commercials to save her life. Hi, I'm the Verminator. Guess what i got for you? Show can.
5: A <laughs> spray can, you spokes idiot. <laughs> nah, I'll
6: tell you, th- those Verminator commercials, uh, I mean, they were first introduced in season eight. I mean, I thought they were, they're, they're great. I mean, and you know that whole show can thing. It reminds me of remember National Lampoon's European Vacation. It was like uh, it's like, uh, oh, would you like a drink? It's like, he's like, uh, yeah, it's like, yeah, I have a coke. It's like, would you like it in the can? And he's like, nah, I'll have it here.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
6: Yes. I mean, one thing that I just wanted to go back real quick on uh, this whole uh, the title The Field of Screams. One of the things I noticed, and, you know, like I said, Annabelle, you're our resident expert. I mean, someone on the Married with Children writing staff, I think, was really obsessed with this whole Shoeless Joe story because we have at least three episodes where this particular story is referenced, right? I mean, the unnatural, uh, proud to be your bud, and obviously this episode. But I don't know. I mean, you know anything else on this?
5: Not really. I mean, I just – but I agree someone must like it enough to use it. I guess to someone's a fan, basically, yeah, because there's an episode called Shoeless Owl in Season 9. I mean, that's just an episode right, title. Right, that's right.
6: But... It's the fourth one, yeah. yeah,
5: that's right. But other than that, yeah, I mean, we've already experienced it this season with the whole, if you build it, he will come, so someone's a fan. Yeah.
6: yeah. And, and, you know, as Australians, I mean, do you guys know much about
5: baseball?
4: Uh, no. Not too much, no. We know
5: of it because we are Sort of saturated, I guess, with American TV. We do get baseball on some of the cable channels, but I don't watch sports really in general. I don't even follow Australian sports, which is a bit blasphemous to say, but yeah, I don't. I don't know a lot about baseball. Most of my baseball stuff is from stuff like, you know, sitcoms and, and movies like Field of Dreams. I mean, interestingly, for myself, I'm 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 really not much of a sports fan of any
6: type. I mean, even soccer or football, as you Australians would call it. Uh, which is, I know, blasphemous as an Italian, but baseball is the one sport I actually know. So, <laughs> nice. That, that's that's one that I, I can actually be uh, uh, again somewhat knowledgeable in. Although I'm a New York Mets fan, so I'm I'm very. <laughs> uh I'm just, just like Al, who's uh, who's a loser by following the Cubs. <laughs> yeah. I'm a New York loser by following the Mets. I've been
5: doing the notes for season nine. I, I just I did the 200th episode last night, and that episode plus the "A Man for No Seasons" episode, which are, have a lot of baseball references in them, and I was very impressed with your your information on those in particular. So I'm like, Luigi must be some sort of a baseball fan.
6: That's my one thing.
5: I, I mean, especially
6: in, in, in references when they talk about football. I mean, I know nothing. I, I, and I, I know that uh, like Alex uh, would probably be very disappointed because I believe he is a football fan. I've got mm. American football.
4: I'm not a sports fan either. I don't follow Australian um, football. As uh, a uh, soccer, it's called soccer or football, depending on where you live and um, your your origins. I mean, over here in Perth, we've got a lot of people of British ancestry, so football's pretty common over here. I'm not sure nah, football's Adelaide. No,
5: its own thing. We call it soccer. We call soccer soccer and football is football.
4: And I found myself I've calling soccer football more, more often as I get older, but that's just me really. Uh but yes, definitely especially not in high school, was not a sports fan at all. The sporty kids uh used to pick on me a bit, but um uh, what do you expect? I was one of the nerds. Uh I didn't care anyway. Yeah,
6: now this uh commercial we had the commercial earlier this season of Billy Ray Wetnap. So we don't have Billy Ray in this commercial, but I think they did such a wonderful job on this that I, I just find it really funny. I mean, and at least like they carried over the joke. And, and I'm trying to remember was it was it the Proud to be Your Bud episode?
5: Uh, it should, well, for the commercial, it would be uh, scared single. Sa- scared single, that's it. Yeah, that's right. I do like these commercials, and we will see one more. Well, couple. Well, one more episode in where these commercials feature but yeah there's there should be a couple more i reckon but yeah i like it. yeah
6: and, and you know so here's some uh, useless american information for you guys so on the, the sign behind kelly you know for pest boys extermination was uh, it's three one two five 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 scam right <laughs> so so 312 is an area code and that is the area code for the chicago area so that they try to actually pin it to what Chicago should be. Now, 555 in the North American dialing plan is an exchange. And the beginning, I believe it was in the 1960s or early 70s, uh, television shows, all television shows, whenever they would try to give a phone number for someone, the phone number would begin with 555. So, because it was a fictitious telephone exchange, so... You know, again, like we, we see the Bundy's phone number as 555, what was that? Uh, 2878. 2878, right? And that was when um, Kelly's trying to get the football player. Was it season three or four, I'm going
5: to say? Yes, yeah, th- season three, Pokeye.
6: That's it, yeah. Poki, yeah. So, because like there was, you know, people, if you would have a telephone number on a TV show, people would start dialing that number. I mean, there's the famous case of uh, the Jenny song. Eight six seven five three zero nine.
5: You got that somewhere, <laughs> right?
6: Right. There's like you know Tommy Two Tone. There was also an instance of Bruce Almighty where they had a phone number on it, and people were calling that number and trying to dial God. But up until I think the mid '90s, any number that began with five 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 was a fictitious number. So, except for one number, which is a, a number for information. So, if you pick up a telephone in in the U S and dial five, 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 one, two, one, two, you get information now in the mid nineties, they changed it so that other than the number for information, only fictitious numbers began with a zero one. So if it was five, 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 zero, one through 99, that was a fictitious number and that held true for a while. Now, like, uh, because pretty much everyone has a cell phone and it's difficult for uh, the telephone companies to have as many numbers, at least in North America, without adding an extra number to the plan. I believe that 555 is pretty, you could pretty much give any number as a real number that begins with 555, except for 1212. And I believe that's something that's only happened in the last few years. So, this is another one of those time capsules that people of a certain age would only remember. But I think young people don't necessarily, you know, know or appreciate what the significance of this.
4: Sadly, they wouldn't. Uh, ph- phone numbers are handled a bit differently here, Luigi. Um, when we ran out of numbers in the mid '90s, we introduced an extra digit to the numbers, so ours are eight numbers long without the area codes. We only have four area codes in the whole country. Um. Again, and also mobiles have helped out too. So, if I was to ring a landlo- landline number from Adelaide, where Anna is, from my city in Perth, I just had to put in the number, no area code, because the um, whole area code zero eight is the entire <laughs> western two thirds of now Australia. You do, nowadays,
5: you just wow. ring someone's mobile or cell phone.
4: <laughs> oh, yes. But still, only four area codes in the whole country, so they started to make it a bit more simple over here.
6: You know, when I talked about this North American dialing plan, I mean, that was implemented in 1949, and, you know, Americans are not really keen on change, you know, it's one of the reasons why we still use the British Imperial units instead of the metric system. (laughs) So, the thing is, is that the number of area codes has increased, in other words, the first three numbers, so now... You don't necessarily have an area code per region for example 312 would be the chicago area now for the chicago area there's probably in the same geographic location i'm going to say three area codes for that uh, location so uh, i believe all of the numbers have probably been exhausted and i wouldn't be surprised if we're going to have to add a extra number to this north american dying, dialing plan soon in order to keep up with uh, the demand for phone numbers because now everyone has a cell phone or mobile phone, uh, as you guys might call them. I don't know. What what is the correct term in Australia?
4: Mobile phone.
6: We just say phone. (laughs) A phone. Okay, yeah. I just don't see it happening anymore. Uh, I mean, years ago, people were, like, especially in the 90s, they were like, well, we're going to run out of phone numbers because everyone's going to have a fax machine, but (laughs) we all know that that went to hell.
8: (laughs) (laughs) Isn't this great, Buck? And you didn't want to do
1: it.
4: Yeah,
0: this is great. I look like Oprah after she dropped the weight.
4: So with the commercial, so springtime in Baghdad, which has been untested in US citizens, Buck is on the TV as a subject. Buck is all help me, help me. <laughs> and we can see the after effects um, in, back in the living room of Buck having no fur left and looks like a completely different dog. <laughs> Oprah, after she dropped yeah. the weight. <laughs>
6: yeah, you know, now springtime in Baghdad would have been a reference to the first Persian Gulf War. Uh, again, I think it's one of those things that's also been forgotten in popular culture. Because I think a lot of people think about, you know, the invasion of Iraq from 2003, but they forget about... Iraq's invasion of Kuwait in early 90s. So this is now early 1994. So people are, I think, that's still in, in the popular conscience. So um, so that's what they're talking about. Because uh, I, If I remember correctly, uh, didn't Saddam Hussein have poison gas, if I'm not mistaken, that he would spray on his own citizens? Or like, uh, I know that I think he would shoot some of it over to Iran. But I think that's probably what the, the reference is
5: probably i don't know the specifics but i assumed it was something like that i kept calling the product springtime for baghdad because it makes me think of the song springtime for hitler from the producers yes so
6: oh and th- they i'll tell you that's like my top five favorite films of all time oh.
5: the first film the first version
6: absolutely yeah. absolutely zero mostel and gene oh Martin. yes a masterpiece
5: See that song's in my head now, but it got it got the Jenny song out.
4: <laughs> now, how many more songs? Are, how many more songs are you gonna get stuck in your head <laughs> yeah, tonight, Anna? Yep, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it still is, still is. And
5: uh, just out of curiosity, what kind of dog was that <laughs> in place of Buck? Oh, I don't know. I don't not up on my dog breeds, but I don't know. Now when I have a look, pull <laughs> up the episode.
4: Yeah, so I'm not sure. I'm not sure, but I'm not. I don't I know my dog's that well either, but um, but whatever breed, breed of dog Buck is meant to be here, he's not very happy, yeah. is he?
6: No, I mean later, you know, yeah, Later, later, we find out, you know, he changes species, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think the first joke, just seeing like yeah. a bald dog, I'm like, wow.
4: <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Buck's all blitzed of his fur, and oh, hang on, who's at the front door? Oh, it's Marcy, and she's got some very exciting news for the Bundys.
2: Hi, Peggy.
9: this in because you're poor and married to Al which is of course redundant (laughs) but guess what I'm rich rich well how'd you do that maybe I could do it too I worked for it
2: (laughs) you see trans
9: Mexican Motors has been looking for a place to build their new car the Haguar GT (laughs) and I found them a piece of property right next to Polk High School it is a $400 million deal, and I get a finder's fee. How much is that?
6: $1.3 million.
1: Wow. <laughs> $1. $1.
0: <laughs> 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 Plus, a brand new Jaguar for
4: each of us. <laughs> oh, she's rich. She's rich because... Haguar GT trans Motors are going to give her a $1.3 million finder's fee of a field next to Polkai. And, and they're going to move away from the Bundies. So, Haguar is what um, Jaguar sounds like tr- tr- if you pronounce it the Spanish way. And Jaguar, for those who don't know, or Jaguar, <laughs> pronounced the American way, uh, it's, it's a luxury vehicle brand of Jaguar Land Rover a British multinational car manufacturer, headquartered in Whitley, Coventry, Warwickshire, or, well, now West Midlands, but historically Warwickshire, England, UK. And while we're at it, um, back to the money note. So if this was now, Marcy would be getting a finder's fee of $2,272,815.79 in today's American money. And if you've made that Australian dollar-y dues, she'd be getting $3,174,564.63 in Australian money. So there, there's our inflation calculator for tonight.
6: Yeah, and, and you know, Matt, that's a lot of VB, right?
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah, mate. A lot of VB, Forex, West End, EMU, whatever, whatever you want, <laughs> Luigi.
6: You know, from my last visit to the Australian nudie bar, I, I can't forget the VB.
4: <laughs> yep. Well, and the best cold beer is Vic. Look, look those commercials up, um, Luigi. They've basically been iconic in Australia since the late 60s.
5: That dog that replaced Buck, it looks a little bit like a hay. but I'm going to keep looking because it might be a different brand or a crossbreed maybe, but it could be a large Sharpay.
6: And Annabelle, I mean, I, I know that uh, at least uh, Steve Ritt follows you. He was the dog trainer, so I, I'm assuming he probably came from the same dog trainer as Buck.
5: Probably, yeah, because uh, one of Buck's girlfriends in the show is, is one of his dogs as well. I think her name is Frida. Yeah, Stephen Ritt does follow my page on Facebook, so I should ask him this one day. But I assume, yeah, he's got a few a few dogs, so it probably was one of his. I don't know about the turkey.
6: It's not Hank, right? I'm, I'm assuming it isn't Hank, right?
2: <laughs> <laughs>
4: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I don't think it's Hank <laughs> yeah, So while we continue to search for the breed of dog um, While Marcy and Jefferson are in party mood Ready to make their move Al is not impressed
9: Isn't this a great country? This country sucks, Peg! <laughs>
0: And I'll tell you why. We're giving it away faster than we can take it from other people. <laughs> I was driving by Polk High today to catch a glimpse of the scoreboard, which once proclaimed my glory, and fight with the homeless for nickels. <laughs> and guess what sign I saw on the school fence?
9: Life 50 Al Zero?
0: <laughs> hey, Marcy, I see they drink a lot at Zippy Cuts. <laughs> The sign said, future home of the Haguar. Which means, Peg, that they will be building automobiles on the football field where I scored four touchdowns in a single game. Where pert cheerleaders in stuffed bras and short miniskirts used to say, one, two, four, three, give the ball to Al Bundy. <laughs> this is madness, I say. How could this have happened?
9: Two town meetings. A suitcase full of unmarked bills, and it's pretty much a done deal.
4: He's he's, he's all, this country sucks. Oh, and he, he's got a few words for the Haguites. That Al is the first word in Alamo. <laughs> yeah.
6: Now, now, you know, I remember watching this in its first run, and one thing that I think shocked me was when Al walks in and he says, this country sucks, because I don't think I had ever heard that before on a network television show that particular line. I mean, so, you know, that that to me was just a shock value. And I think even still when I hear it, I'm like, wow, it's like, you know, it just sort of jumps me back to that time in 1994 because it just wasn't common uh, on American television. I I think it's probably very common nowadays, but (laughs) definitely not back then.
5: Yeah, I could say that. I mean, it must be a bit jarring to hear something so sort of un-American for lack of a better word.
4: I mean, there is at least one example from before this, from um, primetime high-rating US TV, of not dissing the country, but dissing the national anthem. There is at least one example of this, namely from around 1974-ish, in an episode of All in the Family, where Archie and Mike are having arguments over the national anthem, and then Mike... Mike is all, oh, gosh, this song recommends war. Um, um, tell, me, tell me the first verse. How does it go? How does it go? And then Archie gets really wound up. So there is at least one example of this, but I don't think there are too many.
6: I mean, All in the Family had a lot of shock value in terms of the, the types of words that were on television. But, I mean, this particular one, the word sucks, it, it just wasn't. it just wasn't common. And again, shock value of the show, but it was very subtle. You know what I mean it's not like you know again Al Bunny's not a character who goes out there and goes on these rants and uses a lot of foul language it's just 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 very it's just strange for me because it wasn't something that was common on television I mean I think it was common on the streets but uh it was considered like one of those like four letter words for a period of time <laughs> at least you know in my circle. <laughs>
4: Yes, I mean, I mean, Al's, he's not Eric Cartman, and yes, I mean, think, I mean thinking about the before and after this, you hear sucks a lot more in TV afterwards, uh, like in King of the Hill, where um, Bobby's wearing a shirt that says Satan sucks, and Hank is an issue of it, and um, Bobby says to him, would you rather I wore a shirt that said Satan rules?
0: <laughs> well, you're not going to get away with this. If it's a war you want, it's a war you'll get. But you and your fellow hog whites should know one thing. <laughs> Al is the first word in Alamo.
1: Al, we lost the Alamo.
0: Dang, nobody remembers that.
6: So then we get to this comment about the Alamo. And uh, I don't remember much about the Alamo. (laughs) (laughs) So Matt, you seem to know something about it. (laughs) <laughs> All right, so,
4: I'm, <laughs> now, <laughs> well, knowing Al, it's probably, he's probably thinking of the John Wayne film from about 1960 and remade in around 2010, uh, I've only seen the original because when it comes to John Wayne, I'm a bit of a purist, I haven't seen the remix of The Alamo or True Grit or anything like that, uh, but, um, oh, he's, and he's, I was probably also referring to the um, Alamo Battle from between the 20, 23rd of February and the 6th of March in 1836. It was a pivotal event in the Texan Revolution. Following a 13-day-long siege, Mexican troops under President-General Antonio López de Santa Ana reclaimed the Alamo mission near San, San Antonio de Bexar, modern-day San Antonio, Bexar County, hence where it came, the name came from, Texas, USA. Killing the te- Texan and immigrant occupiers, Santa Anna's cruelty during the battle inspired many Texans, both legals, and, uh, Texan settlers, and illegal immigrants from um, the rest of the USA to join the Texan army. So, uh, how, so how
6: ironic, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I know. The Americans the... were the were the illegal immigrants.
2: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
5: oh dear.
4: And of course, Al mentions a battle which the Americans, well, lost, uh, so, which is even more the irony here.
5: <laughs> but Peg, nobody remembers that. I remember the first time I watched this episode back in the late 90s, I guess, my mother watched it with me and she cracked up at that.
6: Yeah. You know, the one thing I'll say is like uh, Americans in general are very unknowledgeable, if that's a word, unknowledgeable, in- in- unknowledgeable, about their own history.
4: Maybe indifferent, ignorance. Um, uh, no, not no, ignorant. Yeah, unknowledgeable. No, yeah,
6: unknowledgeable. Not ignorant. Ignorance is the correct word. It, it's just one of those things that there's there's very little knowledge of American history, sort of like how we got to where we are. So something like the Alamo. Now, I imagine if you live in the state of Texas, people from the state of Texas will be very knowledgeable about it because the event happened there. The way our education system works is that when you're in elementary school, there's usually like a certain grade that you're in, at least like for me, it was the fifth grade. You learn about the history of your state. So, you know, I lived in the state of New York in the fifth grade. So I learned about the history of New York state. So I imagine if you live in Texas, sometime it might be the fourth grade or the fifth or the third or something like that. You're going to learn about the history of your state. Then you learn about national. Then like you, you graduate and learning about history of your, of the nation. But what happens is if you, if you're not from a state, so like now I live in New Jersey, you know, which is the next state over. And, the students here are going to learn about the history of the state of New Jersey and things that happened in the state. But most people are not really going to know what happened in, in the other 50 states unless it was like some sort of a big event. And I think people have heard of the Alamo and remember like the phrase, remember the Alamo, but nobody actually knows what the hell happened there.
5: Yeah, that's probably true for me. I know of it and I know the phrase, remember the Alamo, enough to... Understand it when it comes up in a TV show, but yeah, we don't get specifically get taught things like Texan history in school or anything like that. But
6: right, so I imagine maybe Chris Gunther, he yeah, he's our resident Texan. Maybe uh, when uh, uh, maybe he'll put some comments down in, on the YouTube feed for this one.
4: I can also agree. I mean, schools in Australia um, are a bit similar. Like, you, you learn about your own state's history. Like, for example, I learned about um, Western Australia, the Swan River Colony, things like that before uh, we really delved into the national history. I'm assuming it would have been the same for Anna learning about South Australia first.
5: Yeah, not that I learned much in school anyway, but.
4: <laughs> I mean. <laughs> Alright, um, shotgun <laughs> question for you. Who was your state's first premier? I don't know. Boyle Finnis.
5: Who?
4: (laughs) (laughs) Even I knew that.
5: I don't know premieres. I barely know the current premier.
4: It sounds like like a plastic wrap. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm part of a quiz team, Anna Luigi, so um, I know a fair bit of useful and useless information, so things like that uh, pretty much stick to my brain like glue.
5: Well, South Australia was the first state to give women the vote. I'm very proud of that. Well, good on you guys. South Australia is the, well, people claim that penicillin came from a man in Scotland, but it was actually a guy here in Adelaide who really developed it and got it out there. So we've got Lord Howard Flory to thank for that.
6: Uh, Wasn't it on one episode when Al Bundy said that the the guy who invented penicillin, the reason why it happened was because of his wife or something like that? Uh, How did the joke go? Oh, it was, it was like he, he likes like like the wife left it out. and That's how he found penicillin.
5: Oh, because he left yes. it out one night. Was it? Was it? Uh, it was um radium, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Curie's because you know, <laughs> Madame Curie didn't invent.
6: <laughs> that's it. That's it. Yeah. Like I said, I no no one can. Uh, I, I mean, like I know my my stuff with Mary, my with children, but again, I, I bow down to you, uh, Annabelle. <laughs> uh, I don't I don't think anyone. <laughs> no, was married with children as well as. Oh, you. that was in uh, season
5: one, wasn't it? Yes, because I was talking about the French. You know this Curie guy who started the whole thing. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> let, let his—that's right. Let his wife take the credit for discovering radium.
6: And <laughs> <laughs> uh, was that
5: Johnny? Was that Johnny be gone? Uh no, it's um, uh, just, uh, whose room is it anyway? So really uh. early. <laughs>
4: <laughs> So, coming back from 1836 to 2020, or 1994 for this episode, uh, looks like Bud's gorse gone to Baghdad during his springtime, I believe. And he's not too impressed.
7: Hi. Verminator here again. Now, a few of you viewers have expressed concern over alleged side effects of our new bug poison. Springtime in Baghdad. Now, with Well, I'm here to tell you that these allegations of genetic mutations are completely false. And to prove it, my brother, Bud, here, who I love like a brother, has graciously volunteered to be sprayed directly in the kisser with this stuff. Are you ready, Bud? see he can't wait let's
2: do it
6: but i what i thought was funny with that uh, you know the the joke was it's like springtime in Bad, ba- baghdad now with pepsi <laughs> Ding. You know, so I, there were these this whole bunch of commercials, uh, and like I'm I'm trying I was trying to struggle when I looked this one up in particular because, Pepsin has to do with toothpaste. You know, they would say like a certain toothpaste had Pepsin, and I think it might have been Pepsident, uh, which was the original toothpaste that really started a trend. It had like this special ingredient, if I'm not mistaken, it was Pepsin, that people became addicted to. Like I read this book a few years ago. It was called uh, The Power of Habit. It's like a New York Times bestseller. And one of the things they talk about in the book was how companies help people develop habits. And brushing your teeth was not one of those habits that people had been in until this toothpaste came along. And they had this special this ingredient, I think it was pepsin, that everyone liked in their teeth, and it sort of gave them like the certain feel, that what happened was all the toothpaste companies, because there were others at the time, had to end up copying it because Pepsodent went from like the, the last and last place to first place in terms of best-selling toothpaste for a period of time. Nowadays, it's not. Uh, you see, I think Pepsodent, but it's not anywhere near as anywhere near the market share that it had maybe a hundred years ago.
4: Well, at least it got um, that tooth, toothpaste up, up and running. I mean, I'd be lost. I'd be lost without quality toothpaste. Thank you, Pepsodent. Well, it's certainly better, Luigi, than the original Two Face, which is full of sugar.
2: <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah. Ugh! That's not too...
6: Ugh! Yuck! Yeah, I remember going to the dentist as a kid and they would get a lollipop at the end, so <laughs> they stopped doing that, you know. <laughs> yeah,
4: they haven't done that down here in my dentist for quite a long time. Uh yeah, I mean those who've tuned in before know I'm a bit of a dental nitfic. I do love my sweets, but of a dental nitfic, but so uh yes um, only quality toothpaste in my household. He mumbles, I'll kill you in a style very similar and will be made famous by Kenny of South Park three years later. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, he's got a bit of a side effect as well he's got massive man hooters or mooters uh... <laughs>
2: <laughs> you were
1: great bud people are going to recognize you wherever you go <laughs> Come on, Ma. Tell the truth. Do you think these will turn girls off?
2: Oh, come on, honey.
1: Don't let a little thing like a couple of breasts get you down. It's not like they're permanent. I mean, it's been a whole week, and look how much better buck is getting.
0: I sure hope this crap wears off before Thanksgiving.
1: Uh, Maybe you're right, Ma. Just hide
4: for a while. In the meantime, with a background of Buck being now a turkey after a whole week of exposed to the dear springtime in Baghdad. Ooh, but hope it's not close to Thanksgiving. Good thing it's early 1994. Oh, Bud's Bud's has a real massive inconvenience. Hang on, who's out at the door? It's not like I had any plans this week.
9: Nasha, The girl you've wanted every day and night of your life since the first grade? Well, I'm about to enter a convent, and I wanted to be with a real man for my first, last, and only time. Take me, bud. Take me now.
1: Caught me at a bad time. <laughs> Goodbye.
2: Where are you going?
4: To cop a feel and kill myself. It's, ooh, I think her name's Sasha, who has wanted since the first grade, and she's off to a convent. And Bud is too freaked out, he's half hiding behind the front door, the audience is really cheering him on and because he doesn't want because he doesn't want um Sasha to see him with his mooters, he rejects her. I actually feel really, really sorry for Bud here.
5: Yeah, I felt sorry for her too. That's Rita from Dexter. No way. Yeah. Julie Benz. I mean, yeah, I- she was in Buffy as well, I think.
4: Was she a main character in Buffy or a supporting one? Because I haven't seen Buffy or Dexter.
5: Oh, uh, supporting. But uh, she was Dexter's wife. So, but uh, I won't say what happened to her in case you watched Dexter. But yeah, she was on Buffy for a little bit. Her name is Darla on Buffy. She was on Angel as well. I think she was more on Angel than Buffy.
6: You know, one thing about uh, Julie Benz is she was on this show called Hi, Honey, I'm Home. It was a short-lived show in the US. I think that was her first, some of her first acting credits, if it wasn't her first one. Her co star, uh, Charlotte Booker, was also unmarried with children. She was in the Kelly Doesn't Live Here episode. Uh, she played the principal.
0: At the end of my day, on the highway, never do I roam. What on earth is sweeter than to greet her? Hi, honey, I'm home. That was once our theme song And the dream song of a honeycomb And the small fry fell out When I'd yell out Hi, honey, I'm home We were once a sitcom family On your black and white TV Now we're off the air Been pulled from there And dropped into reality Life was once much duller They put color in our monochrome
3: Still she gabs all day And spends my money I find the sitcom situation funny doesn't life seem so we runny hi honey, I'm home. hi honey
2: I'm home
6: so that show was a spoof on traditional American sitcoms uh, one of the features of that was each episode at the end they would have a character from a classic TV show appear because remember uh, Matt you talked about Heil honey I'm home yes <laughs> And I, I think that the title of that, I think Hile Honey, I'm Home came before High Honey, I'm Home. And so the, the plot of High Honey, I'm Home was that there was this family that was on TV and their show got canceled. So when the show gets canceled, uh, they end up uh, being released into the new world until some other uh, TV station picks them up and they can go back on the air. So this family was like a 50s, traditional 50s sitcom family that lives at some town in New Jersey next to this kid who knows who they are and at the end of each episode they would have for example like gomer Pyle would appear like for like a two-minute segment because every anyone who was on tv they all knew each other so you had uh, alice and trixie on one episode all characters from like the uh 50s 60s and 70s sitcoms would appear on this show it only lasted i think it was maybe two seasons at, at most but it was it was it was interesting and I've never been able to confirm this, but I think I found someplace that there's a 1998 movie, Pleasantville, that was actually based on this TV show. You know, sort of like what happens when somebody from the real world enters the TV world. They they had this uh, instrument on the show called a turnerizer, which allowed them, when they were when the family was alone, the Nielsen family, and Julie Benz played the daughter, Babs Nielsen, in that show. It would go to black and white. So when the the neighbor would come over they would switch to color or sometimes they would just have him appear in color it, it was it was interesting construct uh, actually i didn't think it was too bad of a show because at least you know i, I like classic television when i was a kid so i didn't mind seeing some of these old tv characters come up it was it was interesting to see this this real contrast between like what an idealized 1950s family should look like versus what was present at that time in the early 90s
5: i never saw it
4: never saw it either i'm not sure it even made it to australia considering there were only 13 episodes so basically yeah i doubt it
6: i think some of them are on youtube i i because i (laughs) at one time i think when i when i did the notes for kelly doesn't live here anymore I, i looked it up and i remembered it and it was interesting i hadn't seen it in like 30 years and all of a sudden it's like i started looking at it and then i remembered the whole premise and all that so it wasn't it wasn't bad but again you know ratings are ratings one of the things I'll say is I felt like also Married with Children influenced that show because, again, 1950s shows, you know, everything. There was always a happy ending and, you know, there was a hug at the end. Hi, Honey, I'm Home did that, but they also had an edge to them. Like where they showed it's like, well, the real world is the real world. Like it was one episode, I think, where uh, the mother of the boy from next door was like an activist. She was a single divorced mother. Uh, raising like two kids <laughs> and it was like she was she wanted to get the mother to sign a petition where that they would distribute condoms in school so so yeah. the mother was like, oh well, you know like I need to you know ask my husband you know if if I could do that and she's like what do you mean you got to ask your husband It's like well he knows best and she was <laughs> like you know uh, the, the mother's like you know uh, uh, outraged over it it just really goes to show you like that difference because you know, I mean, even in something like *I Love Lucy*, it's like you know, Lucy would defer to to Ricky on certain things that today no one would ever think about that again. It's like you know, it's not like, um, it's not quote unquote a man's job, you know, to make a decision for a woman. But uh, they they did a pretty a pretty good job of like showing that contrast. So I, I appreciated that aspect of the show.
4: Sounds like it was pretty well done, even though it was um, low rating and never really took off. I mean, I've never seen it, so I can't comment, but it sounds like an interesting concept, at least, Luigi. Yeah. Uh, is it check it out on YouTube. Oh, we'll have to. Uh, There's add a to couple my, to episodes up,
5: Cool. There's one with June Cleaver. Yay. All
4: right. <laughs> now, I've. I haven't seen Lever the Beaver, shock horror. I mean, and that, and it means you get around to it for years, but um just want to quickly say um, I, when I started watching older shows, especially with my dad, so when I started watching, say, All in the Family, Samfin and Son, dad said to me, uh, Matt, I draw the line on anything made in black and white. I'm not watching Lever the Beaver with you. <laughs>
6: Yeah. you know, I have a my one of my friends, his wife. She's I'm gonna say probably like in her late 30s now. Like she refuses to watch any movie before 1980, and refuses to watch anything in black and white. Anything. <laughs> yeah, anything. Yeah, you know. I was like, like, well, why do you want to limit yourself? It's like, oh no, like I, I can't watch something in black and white. Uh, anything before 1980, oh, that that's too old. I think she might have been born in 1980. <laughs> Maybe that's what it is. Aww. <laughs> Excuses.
4: Excuses. Oh, well, takes all sorts to make a world, I guess. Uh, so right after Bud rejects Sasha, and, you know, I, I, like I said, I feel really, really sad for him here, rejecting Sasha, and he, he contemplates taking his own life. Uh, we, f- we feel pretty sad. And Kelly, meanwhile, she wants to sleep over at Cindy's.
7: Hey, Mom. Bud still have boobs? Ah, then I'll be sleeping at Cindy's (laughs) Where's dad? Oh, he's down at the city council meeting You know, he's really steamed about them paving over his football field I just hope he doesn't make a testicle out of himself (laughs) You mean spectacle, honey No, I mean testicle
2: (laughs) I'm used to
1: the spectacle thing Let's just hope that if he's going to make a fool of himself, at least he'll do it in the privacy of his own home.
8: <laughs> and on the lighter, more pitiful side of the news, self proclaimed football legend Al Bundy is leading a protest against a proposed trans Mexican auto plant by handcuffing himself to a goalpost on his old high school playing field. He has vowed to stay chained to this post. <laughs> Until the project is moved, or quote, Marcy has lips.
2: (laughs)
4: What a testicle. (laughs) Now, uh, have we mentioned Cindy before in previous episodes? Uh, I was Cindy just a random name? Just wasn't sure.
5: Well, Cindy, she was in um, Kelly Does Hollywood, wasn't she?
4: Back in season six, uh, yeah, yes. as I as recall, uh, it's coming back to me now, but i uh, just watching this review, uh, the name Cindy didn't really strike out to me in the Married to Children universe. I mean, it reminded me of other Cindy's, both real and fictional, but I couldn't think of any from the Bundy universe.
5: Yeah, well, Kelly does have a friend called Sid, uh, Cindy, and uh, she'll mention her again next year. I we can only assume that it's the same girl we saw in that season six two-parter. Which, which, which one was Cindy? Uh she was the one sitting next to Kelly and Kelly does Hollywood with the red hair.
6: She she the one who says, Well, you know, well who's got the cutest butt? She says, I do. Is that her?
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> <laughs>
4: No, that was a good show, um vital Socialist issues and stuff I'd watch if that was real. <laughs> but speaking of our Kelly, uh she's a bit worried about our owl because um she worries <laughs> she'll oh he'll make a testicle out of himself, which is allegedly different to a spectacle. <laughs> this <laughs> this concern is about chaining him to the po- him chaining himself to the post in the field until either the project has has moved or Mar Marcy has lips, so He's not going to back down easy, is he?
6: So I I guess it's because Marcy has a beak instead of lips.
5: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. She's a a chicken. (laughs) You're a chicken. Yeah. Yeah,
6: You know, I, I will say, like, even if you look at the vernacular, when this show was in its first run, I remember seeing like that whole thing about being a testicle. And I think for like for a period of time, anytime I wanted to use the word spectacle, I used the word testicle in place of it. So I do remember this. Short-lived,
4: though.
5: <laughs> oh, I still use it now.
4: I've, I've used things like that over the years, too. Uh, yeah, so, so we
5: cut to an empty
4: f- um, football field, American football field, which is very different to our Australian football, which is an oval field, not a rectangular one. And it's empty, aside from Al and Bud. <laughs>
0: Bud, I'm glad you're here to share my moment of triumph. You, uh, you got someone working crowd control, Dad? These things take time, son. You think people came when Paul Revere rode nude through the town yelling, the Beatles are coming? No. He had to chain himself to the old north wind and throw up in the harbor first. But like old Paul, you'll be reading about me someday. Once Time Life comes out with the Great Idiot series. Huh? Anyway, uh, I just came over because Mom was wondering if you wanted any food. Did, Did you bring me something? No, she was just wondering. Well, you tell your mother that my stomach is full of pride. Pride and the bologna sandwich I ate a couple of weeks ago. By the way, it's warm out here tonight. Why the Coke? Uh, I was just coming down with something. Chest cold? No. No, uh, this coat just makes him sensitive. Well, anyway, son, I'm glad you're here. I want you to help me pass out the rest of those flyers. Take them to all the places old high school athletes hang out. You mean like uh, bars, unemployment offices, and pie-eating contests? Yes, and don't forget freeway underpasses. Tell them to bring candles and a cheeseburger. (laughs) <laughs> Anything else? Yes, I want you to take the keys to the handcuffs out of my back pocket so I'm not tempted.
2: Yeah, yeah, That's
1: right. Dad,
0: you sure this protest thing is gonna work? Son, I'm not sure of a lot of things in this life. I'm not sure why I was born. <laughs> I'm not sure why you were born, and- <laughs> I'm also not sure of why I felt a pair of breasts on my back when you took those keys out of my pocket. But I am sure that this will work. Tonight, fueled by the flames of 10,000 candles and several cheeseburgers, I will be victorious!
4: Bud's wearing a baggy jacket, which, um, well, as we know, Bud's traditionally worn pretty baggy clothes when, when, um, on, on the show at this point. And Al allegedly at last ate two weeks ago, namely a baloney or polony or fritz, or Devon sandwich. That's a food that has many different names here in Australia.
6: Although, I really love the uh, comment about uh, when uh, Paul Revere rode nude through the town yelling, the Beatles are coming. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, you
6: know, there's a very subtle line. Yeah, yeah, there's a subtle line in there. He says, you know, he had to chain himself to the old north wind and throw up in the harbor first. So, you know, he's referring to flatulence, right? <laughs> and <vomiting. laughs> yeah, and I—I I don't think like again it was—it was so subtle. I, I think like it probably flew over people's heads. But I—I uh, I, um, I crack up at that one each time. <laughs> so, I, so again, the Australians again a little bit of American history. So Paul Revere had his famous run through Boston, yelling "The British are coming" during the Revolution, and it was the Old North Church where they would hang these lanterns, you know, I guess to signal that that was happening. And then that's what. Signal to Paul Revere to do his famous ride, but you know, obviously Al gets it mixed up with the Beatles' arrival in America. <laughs> <laughs> there's a
5: there's an episode of Futurama where they they change that history. They go back in time and instead of one if by land, two if by sea, they do the opposite. So they send jump forward to see how it is if if England had <laughs> taken over in America.
6: Yeah, so what happened? We beat and fish and chips or something like that.
5: Oh, well, they all have real shocking English accents. and oh, I haven't seen the episode in a long time, but I'll look at what it's called. It's one of the later Fridge and Rimmer episodes, so I've only seen it once.
4: Uh, Luigi, you mentioned fish and chips. Oh, British-style fish and chips is the bomb. Don't forget the mushy peas, curry sauce, malt vinegar, and gravy. Oh, you got me you got me hungry now.
6: <laughs> uh, and let's not forget spotted dick either.
4: Oh, yum.
6: <laughs> the Americans listening to this podcast are like, What? Go look it up. It's actually a thing, believe it or
4: not. And it's really nice too. I'm a bit biased, but uh, this Australian approves of uh, pretty much most British food. So um, all the American listeners, go out get some Spotted Dick, a full English fish and chips, sticky toffee pudding. I could go on all day. Uh, p- 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 feel free to message Matt Thompson if you want any more suggestions. <laughs>
5: And just FYI, Matt, that Futurama episode is called All the President's Heads.
4: All the President's and Heads. And
5: after, after figuring out how to travel back in time, Professor Farnsworth decides to right a wrong by revisiting the American Revolution. It's from season 6 After
4: watching have to watch it sometime. I'll definitely check that one out. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh... Yeah, you know,
6: and, and I'll tell you, Matt, I, I've been to London twice, and I'd say like the only thing as an American, you can afford in London is to buy fish and chips off a street vendor because, you know, everything is... Other than, like, if you go to McDonald's and you could buy something for, like, 99... Like, maybe a hamburger for 99 pence. It's, like, anything in the end, like, cost you, like, at least, like, 50 U.S. dollars, like, for, like, the cheapest food you could find. And I think, like, you could probably get... Oh, me I think you could probably get... I mean, again, it's been some time, but the exchange rate wasn't very favorable to the U.S., although I think it was probably even less favorable to the Australians as well.
4: I will say, Luigi, um, London is more expensive than the most of the rest of the country. And I don't know, I mean, I'm not sure what the fish and chips are like in London, but I've had some really good ones other bits. Uh, I had fish, good fish and chips in the east of England and up in Yorkshire. So that sort of food is generally better if you go to the north or east of, e- of England.
6: All right. Well, I guess my next trip, uh, I'll definitely take you up on your uh, advice. They have
5: cod and chips. They call it cod and chips.
4: Cod, haddock, place, rock, um, so many, oh, oh, you just, uh, (laughs) I'm trying to lose weight, and now all I want is bloomin' cod, large chips, and gravy.
6: (laughs) Well, word of advice, don't ever speak to an Italian, because all we talk about is food.
4: (laughs) Well, whilst English, I mean, Australians are pretty similar, I I swear, Luigi. (laughs) Uh, so, <laughs> getting. Sorry, on an, oh, on another food related note, Bud has taken away Al's keys um, so he doesn't unlock himself from the goalpost, and all Al wants cheese- is cheeseburgers and signatures. I don't get it. <laughs> a great historical
0: landmark is about to fall, no one turns out. But let some moron hit an ice skater in the knee, and a million reporters show up. <laughs> Mr. Bundy. Aaron, I knew I could count on someone who played for poke high. Well, I saw your flyers. Good, then Bud is doing his job. He is if you
1: told him to stuff him in a trash can about a block from here. (laughs) But all the guys in the gym are talking about it. Great, what are they saying? They hear Haguar pays $15.40 an hour plus medical. They're really psyched.
0: Doesn't anybody care about preserving our heritage?
1: Well, I thought selling out to the highest bidder was our heritage.
0: (laughs) Not when it's our field. Why is no one here? Wait a second. I know what the problem is. I just realized I chained myself to the visitor's end of the field. No one would ever recognize me down here.
1: Don't they change sides after halftime?
0: I never played after halftime. We were always too far ahead. Now, go get Bud and bring the keys back here. I want to switch goalposts. Oh, he doesn't have the key. He gave it to me. Oh, good. Give it here.
1: Can't. I gave it to Kelly. Why? It was bright and shiny, and she liked
0: it
4: Go get her, bring her back here and hurry.
0: I have to go to the bathroom
2: <laughs>
4: and um he gets a couple of hobos completely with their hobo barrel file um uh, up uh, um at, along, along in the field and oh hang on uh, hang on oh Aaron, Aaron walks up to the um to Al on on the field he's got his um polk jacket on.
5: That was a bit of a surprise. Hmm.
6: I have to whip out my Australian to English dictionary. Uh, so you said cheeseburger and oh, signatures. Rocks up. signatures. What <laughs> is that? Fries? <laughs> <laughs> like, are, are, are you referring to French fries, there, Matt.
4: Oh, uh, I'm just reading my, my notes here. Um, I think you want signatures to well stop the um, construction of the. Park. Oh, all right. Um, okay,
2: I was
6: I, I got lost no. for a second there. <laughs>
4: No, we call those chips here. We right. we, call, okay. um, we call what you call chips are chips or what we call fries are chips. So we say hot <laughs> chips for fries over here.
5: I'm going to call them signatures now. Vision <laughs> <Fish and> signatures. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I always
6: use this term. Like I, I, I would work for international companies and we would have like offices in London, so, you know, which I have visited. And when I first arrived in London, I had actually taken the... Eurostar train from Paris. So I'd been in Paris. I took the Eurostar to London and people in the London office were waiting for me to have lunch. So I get there and I I was wearing jeans. So I figured I'd be comfortable on my trip to London. Taxi takes me to my hotel. I get changed into my formal wear. And so I get to the office and like this whole group of them standing around and they're like, oh, like Luigi, like, you know, we we're expecting you for lunch. It's like, yeah, I was like, I'm sorry, I'm a little late. It's like, I have to check into my ho- hotel and change my pants. And they just busted out laughing because <laughs> pants mean underwear to them. And what the yes. Americans call as pants, they call trousers. You know, again, I don't know what the That's Australian what I- equivalent is, but, you know, there's this famous quote by uh, George Bernard Shaw. That goes like this. It says, you know, Americans and Brits are, you know, two people separated by a common language. (laughs)
4: Uh, So very true.
6: I think, I think Australian is like somewhere in the middle, right?
4: Yeah, we use some of our own terms. Yeah. We use some American terms, especially younger Australians. We use a lot of British terms, especially older Australians and people here in Perth because um, um, lots of, as I mentioned, a few areas of Perth have quite a few British-born people. So um, I, I myself tend to use a quite a few British terms. Well, ancestry, uh, probably go to that British bakery too many times. I've been there five times. Yeah, <laughs> also rubbed up for me.
6: But, you know, I wanted to ask you guys a question. So one of the things that Al talks about, you know, Al, you know, proclaims that the field is a great historical landmark. So, you know, are there things like from your childhood or things that, you know, from your life that maybe have meaning to you that when you saw it, like, let's say destroyed or like torn down, like that, that affected you? And I'm just curious. Yeah, because it's, it's very poignant. I mean, I, I think that, you know, they really tap into like, you know, to somebody like Al, who's a loser, quote unquote, right? And (laughs) that's mentioned later in the episode. It's like, this is something that like has a lot of meaning to him. And this is something that he's actually willing to stand up for. Because most people in general uh, are very apathetic when it comes to anything. You know, at the beginning of the episode, they talk about how uh, Marcy's like, well, how did this happen? It's like, well, you know, a couple of town meetings and some money in a suitcase, right? But, Mm -hmm. you know, that's the way things happen. It's like, most people don't care. Like you might see notices in the paper. It's like, oh, you know, we're going to want to put up some new building in this area and we're looking for community input and nobody goes to these things at most there's maybe like two or three people who actually care about them and then until the thing actually starts to get torn down do pe- then people it's like oh wait a minute like that's where i had my first kiss was there you know or i had my first burger or something like that and then all of a sudden it's like well you know they're getting rid of our history or our heritage
5: uh, i don't know so you guys ever experienced that I was trying to think while you were talking, but nothing really comes to mind. I mean, there's things uh, like my old primary school, you know, they might completely redo it somehow, but I'm not really attached to it. I'll probably just say, oh, that's a shame, but then I'll move on, you know, so we don't, I don't really have anything that's of value like that for me personally. I don't know about Matt
4: glad you mentioned primary school Anna because uh, well my primary my old primary school um, which was called East Greenwood was knocked down um, almost 10 years ago so um, I had mixed mixed memories there some good ones some bad ones Uh, so quite a mixed bag so I had quite a few mixed feelings but um, I was sad to see it go I actually run a Facebook page in in its memory and before it was knocked down I took photos of it so I'm a bit of a sucker for local history and preservation of that sort of thing and all that so that sort of thing does get to me Um, if they knock my high school down, especially... I remember yeah, th- th- um, that, that would really get to me as well because um, some of my formative years were there uh, Warwick High School in uh, Perth uh, and when they knocked down the old cricket nets before they rebuilt them, I was very very sad but th- that was my equivalent of Al Bundy's football pitch so in those cricket nets my friends and I would play a game called kickball which was dodgeball enclosed in a cricket net so a very confined space uh, one of my friends used to kick the ball around 100 miles an hour if you got hit by the ball oh you got it some of the teachers looked at us and thought we were bonkers.
5: You might have to explain what cricket is too. <laughs> oh. oh, yes.
4: Well, uh, going back to baseball, cricket is actually the is a British game. Uh, and I think baseball would have been developed from it somehow over the years, probably via rounders. But basically, cricket is two teams of 11 people on an oval pitch. So similar, to, somewhat similar to baseball, but very, very different. You can't play it if it's raining. Uh let's see. There's it's not three out and switch sides. Basically, everyone gets to everyone gets to bat. Uh very popular in the UK, New Zealand, Australia, most of the Commonwealth or former British Empire, but it hasn't really caught on in the US or Canada. So th- th- and there's only two bases. A, you just run ac- up and down up and down, not on a diamond.
6: Yeah, you know, I had a um, co-worker almost 20 years ago uh who's from India and he was he was a huge fan of cricket and like one day he came in and you know he wasn't very familiar with like again american culture at the time and he he was like oh i mean it's like oh you know it goes to be oh did you hear that you know there's the cricket uh, the world i forget what it is like the world series or world championship of crickets going on i'm like <laughs> i just i'm like I don't know. I have no idea. Like I said, I said cricket is like nah. It's like nah. No one, no one around here knows anything about cricket. And like i just the look on his face, the look of shock. It's like how how is it possible? It's like you know, like half the world like follows cricket, you know, or at least he says of the Commonwealth. I'm like, well, even though America was a British colony, we were never part of the Commonwealth because I, I think we got our independence a little too early uh, to have ever Correct. participated in that. Although you know, I read some places that theoretically the U.S. could join the Commonwealth if if they if they wanted to, because
4: you don't have to be a member of the British Empire. Like Mozambique, which was part of the Portuguese Empire, they joined in seventy-five. So yes, the U.S. can join the Commonwealth. Come on, one of us, one of us, one
5: of us. <laughs> but anyway, back to Aaron.
4: Yes, back to Aaron. Uh, I didn't take too many notes of him. Um, Aaron's appearance here. Uh, I know. I know he, he's there to show out. Al- Alex and support, um, especially after, well, Bud, he found out Bud trashed the flyers. Um, f- thank you. Thank you, Aaron.
5: Yeah, I, d- I didn't take any notes on Aaron's scene, really. It's just nice to see him. And I guess he's <laughs> to remind us that he's still around.
4: It's
6: his second to last appearance. His last mm. appearance will be in The Legend of Ironhead Haynes. You know, what I thought was poignant about that is that he's actually excited at the fact that this factory is going to pay fifteen forty an hour. Which was a very good wage, by the way, <laughs> in 1994.
4: Yeah. Plus medical. And that's $26.73 in modern American money and Australian $36.88 an hour. So um, Aaron that is wouldn't very be complaining. Good. No wonder he wants a job yeah. there.
6: But, you know, as Aaron does point out, it's like, I thought, our, I thought selling out to the highest bidder was our heritage. <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> and he's right about that. He is. He is. Yes. Al also mentions that he never played after half-time. And, well, hey, there was no need for him, because Polk is a country mole ahead of, ahead of the opposition.
5: Yeah, this is where we need a football expert to tell us something, because I got that from IMDB, yeah, the changer. I do know that they switch sides, I mean, like, like they would do in soccer,
6: but I have no idea. I mean, IMDB says what, that they, they change each quarter?
5: Yes, that's what, Yeah, that's what I saw on IMDb. They change the teams, change end zones every quarter, not only halftime.
4: Yes, my American football knowledge isn't the best. I know the, I can name most of the teams. I know there are conferences. I know what the Super Bowl is because the Super Bowl keeps our football fans going until ours comes back. So there is some interest in American football when you guys are playing it.
6: I say I watch the commercials. That's my entertainment actually <laughs> during the whole Super Bowl.
4: Especially if there's an m ms commercial from Christina Applegate.
6: <laughs> yes, last year. Yeah, I- I'll tell you, Like, I- I've sat through, wa- I've watched a number of Super Bowls, but I-, I still don't understand how the game is played. I don't understand the rules of the game. So that's the thing. It's like with-, with baseball, I could sit in a baseball game and I could explain to someone who knows nothing about it how the game is played. I mean, soccer to me is easy. It's like, here's a ball, you can't touch it with your hands and you just try getting it to somebody's <laughs> net. Pretty easy to explain. With football, there are so many rules in terms of, like, how, like, again, how that ball is supposed to move across the field. I just have no clue. I would actually, Which actually is a segue into... Now, mind you, I was on a football field many times when I was in high school. I was in marching band. So yeah. I, I know a lot about the field itself. I just don't know about the game.
5: Can we just go back a little bit? Because we're talking about sports. yeah. Al makes a reference to what was probably the biggest sports story of early 1994 when yeah. he talks about Nancy Kerrigan and Tony Harding.
6: Absolutely. Yeah.
5: He doesn't even mention them by name. That's how popular they are. But um, yeah, when Al says let some Warren hit an ice skater in the knee and a million reporters show up. And yeah, I had to look up what date that was, but even though you've got it in the notes, but yeah, that happened January 6th, 1994, which is, It would have been just before this episode was filmed because this episode aired in February or late February. So it's very much in people's minds. But I recall hearing something a while ago that Tonya Harding was offered a cameo on Married with Children. And I remember reading this somewhere and I was looking for it um, earlier today and I couldn't find anything. But I swear... That there was a rumor that she was going to be on the show, but she turned it down because it involved her or somebody in the scene with her gesticulating with a stick. And so you can sort of see why she would turn that down. But looking for it today, I couldn't find a lot except for one article from 1994 back when she was trying to get an acting career going and she had a manager, and apparently she wasn't doing too badly, but from about July 1994, there was an article I found from the LA Times, and it said that her manager said that she was offered roles on Married with Children, and in an upcoming CBS comedy series, something called She TV. but they didn't go into detail, so she's been offered a cameo, or some sort of role on Married with Children, either as herself, or as a separate character, I don't know, but She was at least offered a role in Married with Children, but it never happened. And she doesn't really get mentioned. They mentioned her in in a late season 10 episode in Torch Song Duet, but other than that, not not a whole lot of mentions. There's a reference to Jeff Gullulli early next season. But yeah, I mean, it's just funny that she's so well-known and so notorious a name that it could have been an interesting cameo, but I think, I'm not sure it would have worked. But even now, in nowadays, we still know who she is, not because she's notorious, but because it's been a very successful film just in the last couple of years. So I just thought that was interesting that they mentioned her. And did it, you don't even have to mention her name and you know what you're talking about, Tonya Harding and Nancy Kerrigan. That's an interesting
6: point that you make, uh, Annabelle, because if you think about when the episode was filmed, probably the whole story hadn't mm. come out yet at that point in time. Right? I mean, the attack was in yeah. early January. I'm just reading about this again, refreshing myself. It's like she made a confession like later in the month. In other words, what implicated her in the story. So when they actually filmed this, that probably hadn't come out yet, I'm thinking.
5: Yeah. I mean, Nancy Kerrigan would have been the name you thought of, I suppose. I mean, you still do today, but yeah, Tonya Harding's involvement probably... Less so, as you say, but it was very much a new thing. So it's just a headline at this point. Right. And I mean, and this went on for months, as I remember, you know, I, I like I said, I remember I was
6: uh, in high school at this time. I was a sophomore in high school. And I remember, I mean, when the incident happened. It was again, January, so winter. And it was probably in the news all the way through the end of the school year, through uh, June. It was like a punchline, you know, for like at least, you know, I'm going to mm. say
5: six months. An international punchline, because we heard about it here, because I remember it happening, I, I, I would have just turned 13. So, yeah, I, I certainly remember it. And it went on for a long time. Right. Because of shows like this and references, you know, it's just, she's an easy target. Oh, yeah.
6: I mean, and, then, you know, that's another great film. Like, if you watch the uh, Margot Robbie film, I, Tonya. I, Tonya. Yeah, I thought that yes. was wonderful.
5: Yeah, I liked it too because I like Alice and Jenny in anything that she does. So I watched it anyway just for her. But I enjoyed the film. I thought it was quite good.
6: Yeah, I mean, I, I give her a lot of credit. I mean, as a um, as an Australian actress, right? I mean, she she could do that accent very, very well. Yeah, she she does an American yeah, accent very well.
5: Yeah, I mean, she, well. she yeah. <laughs> does. Yeah, uh, she does. She just used to be uh, a very pretty chick on Neighbours, and. <laughs> I, I didn't actually watch neighbors when she was on it that's an australian soap uh yeah i didn't watch it at the time that she was on it but apparently she wasn't that great but I, I thought oh who's that she's wow she's really pretty she'll be a big star and look she has become a big star and she's done all these very high profile films and i'm so glad that she's she's good you know so she she's she's got some chops
4: well, good to see she made it out of the cesspits of soap operas. I mean, I'm no soap opera fan myself, <laughs> so so glad that, like Kylie Minogue, another famous um, former Australian uh, soap opera actress, um, she's made it out of, out of that gutter.
5: Yeah, there's a few of them. Like Isla Fisher, she's another one. She was on Home and Away, which is the one that the Australian soap that isn't Neighbours. But there's quite a few of them. Like Chris Hemsworth came from Australian soap. I mean, there's a few of them about doing well on Hollywood.
4: Yeah, for you Americans, uh you could call home in the way neighbors on sea.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, what was I thinking? Have a big gulp, then chain myself with the gold post. Good move, Al. Oh no one's around. Maybe if I maybe if I hurry. <laughs>
6: But I actually have a, a funny story about uh, Al makes reference to a big gulp in the scene. Yeah. So a big gulp back in the ni- in 1994 would have been a 32 ounce soda. So 32 ounces is almost a liter for uh, all of all of our friends who know the metric system. So you'd go into a 7-Eleven and you would get what would effectively be like a watered down version of soda. I mean, it would still be like Coca-Cola, for example, or uh, or Pepsi. I forget what the brand was that uh, 7-Eleven sold. And, you know, you, you would have this soda. It would be very cheap. Like, I mean, uh, I'm going to say it was probably like 50 cents for a liter of soda. Think of it that way in those terms. Because I, th- I think back then you could have maybe bought a can, which would have been 16 ounces. No, excuse me, 12 ounces. So less than half for like a quarter so you could get more than double for uh, fifty cents, and when I we, we would have this thing called Bandcamp, and I, I know that there's a lot of people out there that have seen those American Pie movies. Uh, there is there is some <laughs> truth to it, and uh, you know I think when I used to tell people in the late '90s <laughs> that I was in Bandcamp, you know they they just thought of that American Pie films. So, no, we didn't have yep. uh, you know girls with uh, flutes uh, <laughs> uh, putting it in places that they didn't. Uh, Belong, <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah. one of my friends, his name is Vinny. He and I had this annual tradition at band camp that we would go get a double gulp and a double gulp with 64 ounces. So 64 ounces of this cold watered down soda and we would drink it. I think it was on the Thursday of band camp. So band camp ran a week and it was, it, ra- it ran for a week before the beginning of the school year. So for us, it would have been the last week in August. And after having had, figure, almost two liters of soda, you know, watered down soda, we would probably be, we would probably spend at least 30 minutes peeing like over the course of a few hours. (laughs) He would. And we didn't have any bathrooms out there either. So I remember we used to go to like this wooded area and we'd just be like standing like across from each other just like peeing. (laughs) <laughs> uh, so I can, so, you know, when I saw this scene and mind you, that scene, you know, what I described happened during this time period. So it was very contemporaneous from when I saw this episode, although the episode aired in February, like the first thing when I see Al Chained and he's talking about, you know, he should have had that big gulp, big gulp and he has to pee. Like I, I immediately had the flashback to that particular scene in my head with my friend Vinny. <laughs>
4: Uh, good memories. Uh, f- thank you for explaining the explanation of band camp and um, it's, it's a bit of truth 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 through all that because um, well, obviously most Australians only know of that from American pies, as mentioned.
5: Yeah. This one time at Bandcamp? Band camp.
4: Jinx.
6: <laughs> no, because the funny thing was that I used, I have a lot of stories about band camp. You know, because the the way band camp worked was most schools had bands who played at football games. My high school instead had competitive marching bands, so we would compete against other marching bands and it's it's really like an american i'd say like an american phenomenon it It's this thing where uh very popular throughout the u s um and it's also somewhat regional but a lot of like if if you talk to i guess somebody like chris Gunther he would tell you like you know you would have a band playing at a football game but we never played for our football team we just played and competed against other bands and you did this competitive season from september through november so what in order for you to practice you would have to play like three songs and you'd have to make these patterns on a football field so like if you're looking from on top you could almost see like let's say you'd almost see like uh, everyone like moving around so that we would make like a shape of like Homer Simpson, like eating a cheeseburger, you know, just if you can like, yeah. imagine. And you would do that for like five seconds. And all of a sudden then you'd move and then, you know, you would now look like Bart, like the, the, the image on the field of everyone moving around. So this required a lot of uh, practice. So now mind you, if you're an incoming freshman, you have to learn the music. You would, you know, if, if, So in other words, the school year would end in June. You would immediately be mailed music that you had to learn over the summer. You would have practices beginning in July. So in other words, you would already, you know, let's say graduate elementary school. And a few weeks later, you're in high school learning how to play a musical number if if you already know how to play the instrument. So a couple of pieces. And one of the songs we did play was the Simpsons theme my first year. And then what would happen is you would be learning what we call it was called drill and you'd be learning how to do these shapes and you would do that during band camp so band camp would run from 9 a.m to 5 p.m for those five days and you would bake in the sun imagine like august in new york city hot and humid uh you needed to wear lots of sunscreen and you're learning like where to stand while you're playing a particular measure of music and that's what the whole thing was. And that was, it was a great time to really build camaraderie with, you know, your your bandmates. Because what would happen is by the time you actually entered high school, if you, if you joined as a freshman, as I did, you already knew lots of upperclassmen because, you know, a band has everyone from a freshman to a senior. You know, my high school experience is that I know lots of people who are three years older than me, as well as three years younger than me. So my circle of friends is a lot larger than a typical person in high school, because typically like a... Like, if you're a member of a sports team, it's always going to be people of your grade and of your age. Except for, like, you know, then there's always some, I'm going to say, some exceptions to the role. But um, that was the thing about band. And I have plenty of stories about band camp. And again, the double gulp is one of them.
5: <laughs> nice. Do old high school athletes now hang out at places like bars, unemployment offices, and pioneering contests? Yes. yes. <laughs>
4: Good. Well, that's what I like to hear, especially the pie eating contest side of things. You
6: yeah, know, there was a, one of my favorite lines. If you remember in Rocky, the Rocky movie, when he fights, uh, what's his name, Tommy Gunn? <laughs> like, uh, Tommy Gunn goes to uh, Rocky. He's like, "We want to step outside," you know. And Rocky says, "It's like, oh, it's like, oh, he's like, oh, he's like, if you want to, like, let's go outside." So these two, these two fat guys stand up. He's like, This <laughs> is he "Hey, hey Rocco, you need some help?" He's like, hey, "Guys, this say no pie eating contest."
2: <laughs>
4: <laughs> Love Rocky. Yeah, so back to our awesome athlete of Al. Oh, so he lets it rip. Oh, yeah. But, oh, oh no, he's got flashed by Pest Boy's Kelly to the rescue in the Bugmobile.
0: Hi, Daddy. Guess what? My dreams of having a daughter with her own insect car have finally come true. <laughs> You
7: guessed. <laughs> anyway, it's called the Bugmobile, and the company said that I could take it whenever I want.
0: <laughs> That's great, sweetheart. Could you unlock me now, please? Wait, first,
7: guess where I went today?
0: Um, the moon?
7: <laughs> Better. The Chicago Institute of Bugs and Vermin. They have some of the rarest and most dangerous bugs in the world there. Like, take these African pink beetles here. There's only six of them in the entire world. It's a good thing, too, because one bite from one of these babies will nuke your entire metabolic system. <laughs> <laughs>
0: could you back the jar up a little bit?
2: <laughs> Don't worry
7: about it, Daddy. I made sure before I took them that I made the holes too small for any... Hmm.
2: Oh.
7: What? <laughs> Did I say six? I guess I meant five. <laughs> <laughs> so, how was your day?
0: Oh, just a typical day. Didn't sell any shoes, didn't get to pee, you know. <laughs> so, could you please unlock me now? Oh, no.
7: Don't get mad, okay? But before I went to the museum, I went down to the railroad tracks with some of my friends, and and they were putting pennies on the tracks and watching them get squished. But I didn't do that, because you told me never to waste money.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But a key isn't money, is it, sweetheart?
2: No.
7: kind of awesome when you think about it huh? all. <laughs> the pressure it took to do this.
0: Mhm. But how am I going to get out of here now?
7: I thought about that too. All we have to do is take the lock. Put it on the tracks and squish that too.
2: And the key should fit. <laughs>
0: I have a better idea, sweetheart. Since the lock is attached to the goalpost, why don't you go down, stand on the railroad tracks, and try to get them to bring the train over here?
7: Gotcha. Oh, oh, Daddy, one more thing. If you see a brown bug with three sixes on its belly, that's the African ping. It's very deadly. So run for your life, okay? (laughs)
2: Bye!
0: Oh well, one killer beetle loose in a city this size. What are my odds of getting bit? I mean,
4: even my luck couldn't be that bad. Um, she lets out a bug from the Institute of Bugs and Vermin in, in Chicago. Uh, some African ping beetles. Uh, uh, yeah, six have become five, and to make things worse, uh, Kelly does has no key. Uh, she lost it on the railway tracks, and oh, oh no, it's squished. It's flatter than a British pancake or crepe.
6: <laughs> so let me ask you guys: so she has the Bugmobile. Like, have you guys? Do you guys have something like the Oscar Mayer Wiener Truck in Australia? Have you ever seen one?
5: I know what you mean, but no. <laughs> I love that she's driving a bug, literally, a VW, but we don't have anything that's sort of nationally iconic like what you said. Uh, I'm just trying to think. No, because we, we have food trucks, but we don't have anything that's got an animal on it. There is a sushi place here that's got a giant prawn on top of it. That's all I can think of. On its car, I mean.
4: Trying to think of any here in Perth. None that ring to mind that are iconic here in Perth. No.
6: Back in the you know the 70s, 80s, and 90s, you know, Oscar Mayer is a is a brand of like hot dogs and baloney.
2: Oh, I'd love to be an Oscar Mayer wiener. That is what I truly like to be. Cause if I were an Oscar Mayer wiener.
6: So they had a truck and it was like... That song's in
5: my head now. Okay, so here we go. So we go from Tommy <laughs> Tony to...
4: Yeah. <laughs> Oscar Mayer Wiener. Oh, I'm actually looking it up now.
6: So anyway, so they had this truck that would drive around and sometimes you would see it. It was called the Oscar Mayer Wiener truck. So coincidentally, one of my friends from Bandcamp, he was a spokesman for Subway. And he has, there's a Subway truck. So you guys are familiar with the Subway chain of sandwich shops? Oh, yes. Right? So I assume they have Very much in Australia, so. right? So, so he drives this, um, again, a friend of mine from Bandcamp, and he's like a spokesman for Subway. He's done some commercial work. I actually mentioned him before. He's a DJ on Long Island, but one of his gigs is opening up new Subways in the tri-state area, here in New York, new York yeah. area. And he drives this truck, and he gets dressed up and all that so again, it's iconic. When I see that bug, I think of, you know, like these chains that would have these cars. I mean, I'm not just talking about like being wrapped and like having a logo. It's like that thing looks like a bug that like Kelly has in front of her, <laughs> as well as the subway uh, truck that I'm describing. So and the Oscar Mayer winner one, obviously.
4: Nice. Uh, uh, n- nothing like that here in Australia, sadly. The only uh, thing remotely, well, actually bug-related. Um, so we do have a national um, slogan for bugs, Louis the Fly, for a fly spray brand called Mortine. So that's very iconically Australian, but that's for bugs, not food. Louis the Fly, I'm Louis the Fly, straight from rubbish, tip to you. Look that up, Luigi. Louis the
2: Fly, I'm Louis the Fly, straight from rubbish to you. I'm better and meaner, and mighty,
0: uncleaner the nastiest guy that you've ever seen. Oh,
2: only one thing I really have seen is Mum with the dreaded can of Mouton. Bye bye Louis. Louis the Fly say bye bye to Louis the Fly. One stray
4: of two, and you will never be seen. It's the end for Louis the Fly. When you're on a routine, stick to it. It was also voiced by an Australian sitcom legend, Ross Higgins, who played Ted Bullpit in Kingswood Country. Previous listeners of Team Australia would know that I'm a big fan of it. And as I described before, Ted Bullpit in Kingswood Country is basically Archie Bunker and All in the Family, minus all the serious social commentary. So Kelly's solution is to squish the lock so that the British pancake creme prog, that's Welsh pancake,
5: flattened key, can fit into it. I see her logic, but it's one slight flaw in that theory. No, it's not going to work. Uh, yeah, they'd kill your dad. You'd, f- you'd also
4: can't rip the pole out of the ground because you're not Supergirl. <laughs> But hang on, something worse is happening. Uh, There's a bug which has three sixes on the belly. Uh, That's very deadly. And it's um, on Al's back. Oh, 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 oh. He knows he's got scabs on his face in his dream. (laughs) Oh dear, oh, oh. Uh, He goes into a dream sequence um, uh, which involves uh, Joe Namath and Jim Brown. Ladies Ladies and gentlemen, gentlemen,
2: announcing your
4: Joe Namath, he's previously appeared on Married to Children in Dances with Wheezy early this season. And Jim Brown. Born on the 17th of February 1936, is a former professional football player, um, sports analyst and actor, and he played with the Cleveland Browns between 57 and 65, one of the greatest players of all time. Pro Bowl invitee every season he was in the league, and he won a championship, um, or as we call it here in Australia, a premiership with the Cleveland Browns in 1964.
6: Very famous for playing the role of Robert Jefferson in the Dirty Dozen. So you're probably in my top 20 list of greatest films.
5: Oh, him. Yes. Yes. So back
4: in 1968, so after he um, hung up his helmet, so even better in my book now. I love that film. Uh, thanks for putting that out, that Luigi. Uh, i have to keep an eye out for him next time I watch it.
5: Yeah, I looked him up, and I'm like, God, he looks familiar. And then I'm like, oh, he's been on this fil- in all these films that I've seen. He's in Mars Attacks, that Christina Applegate's also in. And... Um, yeah, there's something else. But yeah, of course, he's so familiar.
4: Oh, this list of movies and shows that get watch keeps getting longer and longer. I need to start, I guess <laughs> you're getting onto some of these these days. So, uh, it's a typical Al, it's what I call a typical Al Bundy dream, you know. Basically, he's a legend, he's not a loser at all. Oh, he's he's, he's just happy until chicken legs wakes him up. Hmm. Anna, Luigi, what did you think of Al's dream?
5: Fine. <laughs> uh, there's not a lot to say about it. Just, um... It's your typical Al dream. He's happy when he's dreaming like that.
4: He always is until he gets burst.
5: Yeah, by Peg or Marcy.
4: <laughs> or both. Well,
5: you, you remember, it sort of reminds me of, you
6: remember that there was that episode, Peggy uh, Bowls 300. Uh, what, what was the mm-hmm. correct uh, yes. episode? Remember uh, Peggy turns Peggy 300. Turns 300. Yes. You remember there was that scene where he's looking at the television, it's off, and he's imagining being interviewed. Yes, Yes. something
5: snapped in his head and he's imagining everything. Uh, Yeah, and
6: that's the way I I see that dream. It's like, this is, you know, again, I think also one of the misconceptions, sometimes when I talk to people about Married With Children who call themselves fans, like they believe that Al Bundy was a quarterback, right? And it's like, I mean, it's really, he was a fullback. And again, I don't know what the difference is, but again, you have the quarterback is... (laughs) His <laughs> Joe Namath, halfback was Jim Brown, and fullback was Al Bundy. But um, uh, I also like in that episode, Pokeye We hear about that too. Remember, he said we we went both ways when we were in high school. <laughs> <laughs> He's
5: like, not me. I like girls. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah. So sorry, Al. Your dream is over.
0: Oh, mercy. Thank God it's you. I thought the goalpost had grown unsightly stubble.
2: You know,
9: I admire you, Al. I didn't think you'd last this long. But groundbreaking is in a couple hours, and a squirming shoe salesman under a bulldozer will not look good in the papers. So we're prepared to make you an offer.
0: An offer? You mean money? Al Bundy is not for sale. I'm not standing here for myself alone, but for every guy that ever scored a touchdown.
9: Oh, look, a double cheeseburger with fries.
0: For every dad that ever took his kid to a game, for every man that ever married the wrong woman. Is there bacon in there? I don't even care if those are curly fries. Are they curly fries? Never mind. I stand fast. If you want to build a factory here, you'll have to build it over me. have my memories what is the offer
2: this burger done <laughs>
9: gee Al, those insect bites look pretty nasty
0: In- insect bites oh, oh thank God I thought they were hickeys from that bum over there
9: uh, I tell you what I'll do Insofar as I'm moving out of the neighborhood and we'll never see you again I'll take you to the hospital
0: you do that for me?
9: Sure, but I just have my car detailed, so climb in the trunk.
4: <laughs> Al Bundy is not for sale. But, oh, hang on, oh, back to food. Uh, Marcy's got a little something that I think could just buy him. It's a double cheeseburger with uh, signatures. I mean fries, <laughs> I mean chips. Curly at that. I've always found curly fries to be overrated myself, but that's just me. But um, it's obviously enough to flip Al. I mean, in all honesty, if um someone brought me say um say fish and chips or whatever and chips from my favourite chippy, I'd probably be I could probably be bought as well. I'd probably buckle. Not Especially sure. Especially if you. there's
5: bacon involved.
4: Oh yeah, yeah. Is there bacon? Oh yeah. Uh, Al doesn't Al doesn't accept it first until he sees a bulldozer coming for him, and then he's uh, obviously realism snaps into his head, and he thinks uh. Uh, I could die. I think I'll accept. <laughs> <laughs> we're back at the Bundy house now. We're watching a television news report.
8: And in an ironic twist of fate, it took the near death of plant protester slash women's shoe salesman L. Bundy to halt the construction of the proposed Haguar plant when it was determined that the bites covering his body were caused by the rare and poisonous African ping beetle. <laughs> Though no one gave a damn about Mr. Bundy's protests environmentalists insist that Pokefield must now be protected since this useless but endangered insect has apparently established a colony there
1: I can't believe it, I mean how do these beetles get here from Africa anyway?
7: <laughs> well there's no way they could escape from the Institute of Bugs and Vermin cause, cause that place is a fortress <laughs>
8: Plans for the Haguar factory have officially been moved to Canada with a loss to this community of 21,000 jobs and millions of dollars. The plant would have benefited every segment of the economy from housing to shoe sales. Truly, this is a story with no winners, only losers. the plans for the Hoguea
4: factory have officially been moved to Canada with a loss of this community of 21,000 jobs it would have benefited every segment of the economy from housing to shoe sales a truly a story <laughs> with no winners only losers and this is obviously a re- <laughs> this is obviously a reference to the then um then re- recently um, came into effect um, NAFTA, North American Free Trade Agreement, um, a pact between Canada, the US, and Mexico. Hence the Trans-Mexican Motors and the plant moving to Canada. NAFTA has since been su- succeeded by the USMCA, or United States-Mexico-Canada Agreement, just July 1st this year. But it, that was very much a relevant talking point at the time this was written and filmed to and aired as well.
6: Yeah, you know, and... That whole, the whole thing about NAFTA uh, is that during the 1992 presidential election, there was a lot of talk about the implementation of NAFTA. It was interesting. There were a lot of attacks made on this agreement. Uh, so the then-president, George H.W. Bush, uh, was a proponent for it. Uh, I believe that Bill Clinton was not, or had like some reservations on it, and Ross Perot, who was the third-party candidate, was against it. He had a very famous phrase about, it was like a vacuum cleaner that was sucking jobs out of America. And, you know, this came back in the news, you know, 25 years later uh, with uh, the current president. And, you know, it was finally some some changes made to it. But it's it's been mixed because, you know, there's two schools of thought around this. There's this term of, like, globalization. You know, you, again, from an economic perspective, uh, you should bring things that can be made cheaply and and. Other countries should be made cheaply there and things that are high value should be done, um, you know, in the native country, etc. But there's always winners and losers in any of these things. And I think that was if you look at the phrase that they use, it's like it's a story of no winners, only losers, because it was supposed to have been. The, the idea was that it was a win-win, like uh, if it was cheaper to make, let's say, bolts in Mexico and then ship those bolts to Canada to have them assemble a motor and then have that motor shipped to the U.S. Uh, to put, be put into a car, the idea was that you were shifting the modes of uh, production to different places. But if you were making bolts in Canada or the U.S., uh, those people obviously lost their jobs. I think that all those trade agreements never really take into account, well, you know, maybe long term, they have some benefits, at least maybe from an economic standpoint or cost perspective, but do they really, how do you deal with a local community that uh, maybe had an industry, which now disappears as a result of that. And I think, you know, the married with children writers were sort of poking a finger at this. It's like, hey, you know, did anybody really think of this? Uh, And that really resonated, I guess, with people in those in those um, industries.
4: Oh, thank you for that, Luigi. Uh, yeah, it's always good to have a bit of a um, hi- history lesson for us this- listeners here, especially down here in Australia. I mean, cause it didn't really... NAFTA obviously is wasn't really relevant to us here at the time. Uh, I don't think it would... I mean, it would have been in the news, but it wasn't really... Re- we weren't exactly a party of it.
6: I mean, any of these trade agreements... I mean, you know, like Australia, for example, is in... Uh, you know different trade agreements every country has like some kind of trade agreement or usually they do at least developed nations do but there are winners and losers and usually like politicians put it as a win-win and like i said from a long-term perspective there are winners i mean there are there's some long-term benefits to it but usually in in the short-term industries do get affected by them and that's the criticism that they get
4: well, true. Twenty six years ago, and I'm sure it's still tr- true now. Uh, oh, there's also a little continuity goof at the um, in, 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 in the news report. Um, the chain is intact on the, in the on the goalpost, but when um, they cut them loose, they cut the chain at the very end, closest to the post. Hmm hmm, this, I mean, the show isn't the best for continuity, but still, we could have stepped it up a little bit there, guys. Yeah. I, I feel
6: <laughs> like, uh, maybe Annabelle, maybe you can back me on this. I feel like th- it might have been the difference between tapings. You know, like when they splice it together, like when they did one taping, it looked a certain way, then they did the second taping, and it was slightly different. So when you actually splice it together, it looks a little different. I think I think that's the explanation for it.
5: Yeah, you're probably right, probably just editing, because you notice things like that uh, fairly often but uh yeah something like that or the the news report was filmed way earlier and then they did the other scene later and sort of left the chain with the with the wrist still on it and cut it out of the scene with the camera um and then filmed the actual cutting of that later but you're probably right it's just taken from the different tapings
4: well that's a that's a gory video video editing and also um Well, I mean, most casual fans wouldn't have noticed. The average TV screen was smaller back then, as we all know. So, again, um, not the biggest of continuity errors um, in terms of TV sitcoms.
5: No, we talked about a doozy of a continuity error in Assault and Batteries, which we've already recorded. We talked about the how can Bucks birth certificate be under the couch if it burned down about nine episodes ago. (laughs) (laughs) Things like that. I mean... It's
6: a drop in the ocean. Uh, we still love yeah. the show, e- even,
5: even, even with
6: all these yeah. groups. I mean, you know, it's fine. And like like, I, I, like I, sa- I said before, like on the podcast I did with Chris Gunther, I mean, like if, if the creators, if Michael Moy was ever listening to this, it's like we, we understand that you just want to make us laugh. We, we do it tongue in cheek. I mean, we don't take it seriously, but uh, <laughs> it just gives us something to talk about.
5: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, exactly. <laughs> I'm not going to hold anything against it. No, but after you've watched a, a show so many times, you start to notice other things too. So.
4: Yes,
6: I mean and that's the reason why we're fans. I mean, the word co- is a fanatic. <laughs> we love this show, oh, and yes. we—I probably watched every episode at least fifty times in my life.
4: <laughs> uh, you've watched it about a hundred times, Anna. Each episode.
5: Uh, pos- probably. Um. I don't actually know. That's the problem.
4: I mean, I've only seen about say, well, anywhere between three, three to ten, depending on the episode. Me, so I've got a long way to go before I reach your levels.
5: <laughs> it's a good idea too, also, to give yourself a break. I mean, y- you still know what's going to happen when you rewatch them, but you, yeah, you might be, you might notice things you've either forgotten or just thought was in a different episode or, or something like that. But um, also, if you watch them on a different platform whether you're watching it on dvd maybe watch it on streaming or a bigger television or something that's got a larger ratio because yesterday well last night i was looking at a, a season nine episode and i spotted a boom mic i hadn't seen before that was over uh, it was in um ship happens in part two i think when they're in the living room at the end there was a boom mic i spotted um above their heads that i hadn't seen before because i've been watching it on a smaller ratio <laughs>
4: Yes, yeah, so I'm sure I'll notice more things as I watch them over the years. And also, I like to watch other shows once in a while. <laughs>
5: <laughs> yeah, I've got a few of those too. Yeah.
4: yeah, I've got a few of those as well, as um, previous <laughs> listeners to this podcast would very well know about. Uh, so at this um, very end of the episode, uh, we can see Al is now basically in an isolation jo- dome in his gym jams or pyjamas. And that reminds me of Big Ears from the naughty characters. <laughs> <laughs>
5: Speaking of big ears, Buck's back to normal, almost. Yeah. Bud is almost back to normal. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
4: Um, yeah. Buck is normal. Stan's ears. Uh, but hang, hang on. So yeah, Bud looks a little bit off. Well, what's wrong with him this time? <laughs> Didn't I? Know- I don't
5: know. But he, he doesn't have boobs anymore.
4: No, no more mooters. I didn't notice what was wrong with Bud this time. I was just too busy focusing on Al being... I called him big ears after big ears and naughty, as I mentioned, and then Buck normal sans ears. Yeah, so,
6: so I need that Australian dictionary again. So you call them mooters?
4: Man hooters. <laughs> Man hooters. <laughs> That's a term I invented. I'm only one Australian <laughs> out of 25 million. I, I like yeah, it Yeah, because
5: that 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 word was new to me as well, Luigi. But it, it makes perfect yeah. sense. But I hadn't used that word myself. I,
6: I think you should. I think you should copyright it. <laughs> I think I should.
4: Um, the friends, my friends who know me well enough know where I got it from. Because um, my friends who know me well enough know that I picked up hooters from married of children. <laughs> So I know I adapted it. So maybe I should copyright it. Could be some extra money that I could put towards uh, good uses. Eventually, save up the war chest so I can buy the rights to the um, the tapes and release my DVDs.
6: Which makes me wonder. And I guess this isn't. Uh, this is something that just came to my mind. Where does that term come from? Does it come from the um, uh, uh, restaurant chain? Like you know, where did married with children? Because like I don't think I'd ever heard that before. Who um, does like like, ma- like married with children in terms of like that term?
5: Well, I, mean, Hooters, I don't know. It's a funny word. Maybe they, they went through... They've called them other things. But maybe they decided that Hooters was a funny enough word that they could get away with.
4: And also, I mean, mean, had it been around for a few years at the time Meredith Children was conceived. Uh, it's been around since April Fool's Day of 1983 by some of Flo- in Clearwater, not Dumpwater, Florida, by six businessmen from Clearwater.
6: Ah, no, I, you know what? I've, I got the answer. It's a it's a slang term for breasts popularized by Steve Martin on Saturday Night Live. That's where it comes from.
4: Okay. Oh, well, Interesting. cool. Interesting. So, was that in the 70s or 80s, Luigi? Because uh, obviously it had to be before before 1987. Uh,
6: well, Steve Martin on Saturday Night Live, I think was
5: the 70s. Cuz
4: then I premiered in 75.
6: Yes, I'm If I look up Steve Martin's run on that, I'm going to say it was in the 70s.
5: Late 70s, yeah.
4: So he knew what he was doing there. Thank you, Steve Martin, because I'm sure you influenced uh, Michael G. Moy and Ron Levitt.
1: No, ma'am. We'll be right back to wrap up this week's review. Be sure to join their Facebook group page for all the
4: podcast news and updates. Be sure to subscribe to them on the Apple Podcast app and please leave a review telling them what you think of the show. To subscribe
1: to their YouTube channel, Just go to Channels and search up Married with Children Podcast. Join their Patreon and support your favorite podcast with a
7: small monthly donation. You can email them at marriedwchildrenpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for checking out this review.
4: How many African ping beetles are you letting loose on Chicago for this episode? Anna.
5: (laughs) You know what? I have no idea. I've been struggling on this one. I've been going back and forth a bit. But I might stick with my original sort of standard score of four. And I don't know why. There's nothing wrong with this episode, really. It's it's, it's a funny one, I think, because there's a lot you can take from this, and a lot we can reference, and then we've obviously talked a lot about it today. But as an episode, I'm watching it. I didn't really take many notes because either have already been done by Luigi, but also I didn't. I didn't have. um I didn't really have much to add, or anything like that. So, yeah. I mean, there's again, I've, like I said in previous episodes, it's probably the little things. You know, it's the the little moments, and like there's some there's some great references in this episode. I mean, things like. The Alamo, and um, how we're talking about um, well, <laughs> everything. I mean, everything from Pepsin to the Alamo to the British are coming. Even said he says the Beatles are coming instead of the Brit- the British are coming. That's probably my favorite joke in the episode. It's it's an interesting idea for an episode, I guess. <laughs> the subplot. I mean, I always enjoy the Verminator commercials, and I did like Kelly's run as the Verminator. But I'm not disappointed that it ends later in, I mean, in the, in the series. I mean, that's it's sort of it became its own chapter, its own thing, and that's fine. And I really like the commercials. Springtime in Baghdad, because I keep calling it springtime for Baghdad. <laughs> it's an interesting product. Those that subplot is very silly, but again, like a lot of subplots, especially in this era of the show. It's it's silly, but it's fun. And Buck turning into a turkey is is downright ludicrous, but, you know, you just go along with it. The idea, the idea of Bud having boobs, I feel like someone came up with that and then thought of something to write around it. But, yeah, I didn't hate it because, you know, as a good subplot, you know, it doesn't get in the way of the A-plot, you know. So it it is what it is. It gives the kids something to do. It's nice that Marcy and Jefferson are a little bit more involved. I mean, Jefferson wasn't really, but Marcy was. Marcy's hair is a lot better in this episode. Even Al makes a reference to how bad her hair is, still. You know, I see they drank a lot of zippy cuts. But her hair is actually better than it has been. This is the first episode in this season that it's an improvement. So, yeah, I mean, I like the episode. Is it one I think about and after it's aired? Eh, not really. It is what it is. I, I don't mind it. I'll watch it. It's in a good run of episodes, I guess. And if I can think of anything more to say, I will. But at the moment, I'll just stick with four, and I'll just, I'll just, I'll just see what happens. <laughs> Sorry, that's so vagus, but yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't know what to say about it really.
4: Oh, thank you for that um, review, Anna. How about you, Luigi? How many um, African pink beetles are you letting loose on the streets of Chicago?
6: I am also letting loose four African beetles. <laughs> 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 You know, I, I'd say like my standard score for a Married to Children episode that I like, but it doesn't really, is not very noteworthy for me, is usually a three and a half. A pretty standard, like on three and a half for like average episodes. And uh, I give this one a four because I think like Annabelle, I was struggling a little bit at first, but I think like the 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 yardstick for me, in other words, to go past, past the three and a half is... Uh, It's laugh out loud factor. It's like we, you know, I traditionally don't like later uh, episode, later season episodes of Married with Children. I usually like, you know, I always like the golden years. Um, You know, I I really love like season one, season two. I know like some people say it's like really the show got into its uh, footing in season three. But I really love the dialogue of the early seasons. This one is just like a Looney Tunes type of one. It's like, you know, the... (laughs) I mean, just the commercial with Pest Boys is like a setup, something you would see, like, you know, Bugs Bunny do with like Daffy Duck, uh, you know, Bud having boobs. It's so for- it's so farcical, but, you know, some of the lines, like one of my favorite ones when Bud has boobs, it's like, it's like Peggy Systems, like, where are you going? It's like, well, to cop a feel and kill myself, you know, because <laughs> it's like playing up on, you know, the fact <laughs> that he's a pervert, you know, Al caring about something that nobody else cares about, Um you know, again, it's a little, you feel sad for the character as well. But, you know, there's also just the comedic effect in terms of what happens and, you know, what he's imagining. Uh, you know, the, the contemporary references of what's happening in 1994. All of that stuff, when you put it together, it's like, yeah, like I remember watching it the first time. And it's like, I'm laughing out loud at like that, the Nancy Kerrigan, Tonya Harding joke. Uh, that's what made it funny. Um, so when I look at it from that perspective, it's like, that's why I'm giving it a four. You know, I mean, it's, it's not a gold standard episode for me, like in terms of five and, you know, I have my fives in my head, but, um, this is really good. And that's, you know, I, I always say that it's like, I just, with this show, I just wanted to be entertained. I I wasn't interested in learning something or, you know, (laughs) for them making a political statement, that I had to go back and think about reevaluate what my values were in my life. You know, <laughs> I just wanted to sit in front of a TV and forget about everything that's going on. Um, so that's that's what I like about this episode. It's like I could you could just sit down. You know, again, watch this episode twice uh, before we recorded this, and it's like I just enjoyed myself for you know those forty four minutes. So give it a four.
4: Forty-four minutes. Did you watch it twice, Luigi? I did. And thank you for your. <laughs> I did. Yes, I did. <laughs> well, thank you for that. As as for how many um African pink beetles I'm going to let loose in Chicago, make sure none of them get to Australia though. Uh, I'm going to also give four African um pink that four African pink beetles that loose in the streets of Chicago. Why, you may I ask? Well, I, I love the, the Verminator episodes, for example. I mean, I actually own a Verminator T-shirt. I even wore it to my high school reunion a couple of years back as a bit of a symbolic nod to that era of my life because uh, I first got into married children children um, late in my high school days. Oh, uh just the whole, um, the whole plot of itself, really. Uh, I, I love, um, any story that... Mo- mo- most of the episodes revolving around Al's high school football days, the way he... is so... He's so fast in his beliefs, and he gets, does a quick 180 whenever there's food and a bulldozer involved. Uh... I mean, as as both of you said, Anna Luigi, uh... It's not goal tier for me, um... It takes... It takes a lot for me to give something a five-whatever, but... There's, there's still a very solid four for me, uh... Another, well, well, any, any episode that references John Wayne as a winner for my book it's uh, so just a pretty solid uh, all around season 8 episode in my, in my book
5: yeah that sounds good I, I think uh, um, you, you both nailed it it's a very cartoonish but solid season 8 episode
0: alright I said I was going and I'm going but let me tell you something I'm not going to just disappear you'll see me again Wherever a fat woman shoves a smelly foot <laughs> in front of some poor guy's face, I'll be there.
6: And now, the last word on this episode. Calling in from his two thirds acre retirement property on Lake Chickamacomico that the government hasn't yet padlocked, ladies and gentlemen, I give you the creator and executive producer of the Married with Children podcast, Mr. Alex Edwards. <laughs>
3: Yes, this is the retired Al. This overview is not going to be as in-depth as normal because I am sad to report that I probably have COVID. My wife tested positive and I'm not feeling good, so... Don't worry though, I don't want to, like, alarm anyone, make them think I'm going to die or anything. But if I do, hey, there's always all the old shows you can go back and listen to and it's like hanging out with me again. Now, I think I'll be alright, um, the symptoms aren't too bad right now, uh, just feel really dizzy and, you know, exhausted and, you know, the cough thing and all that, but, uh, yeah, so I'm not gonna go too crazy this week, cause I do this, like, right before it's released, like, it's literally, even though we're live in the nudie bar, um, you know, those guys are, but they play my clip that I record the Tuesday before, they play that. Live after they say their stuff. So here we we are, field of screams. Uh, the Verminator, one of my favorite aspects of Kelly's character. Springtime in Baghdad. You just gotta love that stuff with these stupid commercials. It's just a great trope that um, you know. Everybody, this is like the tropey show. You know, Al's Polk High touchdowns, dodge no Ma'am, Verminator, Bud with the girls. Pegged with not working and shoe store and, uh, the Jeffersons being rich and stuff like that. Having cars or whatever, you know, nice cars, cars that are in the shop, whatever. Yeah, these are one of the tropes that, um, that I really love of Kelly. Uh, you know, if we're not going to do the boyfriend thing all the time, then hell, man, give us some Verminator, you know. Marcy has a finder's fee and she's going to get $1.3 million and move. Once you hear that, you know that this there's no way this could work because you know we know she didn't leave the show so polk high football field being replaced by hogwar manufacturer wow of course marcy would do that buck lost all his hair when he was doing that verminator the spray the bug spray then he turns into a turkey uh take that as you will i mean we're talking looney tunes here it's that's a weird joke for sure um i don't know why he would just turn into a turkey I think it was just funnier having the uh, the dog with no hair on him that he initially turned into. I think that's enough of a gag. That is unbelievable. So why are we going to take it one step further just to say, I hope I change before Thanksgiving? <clears throat> why? So Kelly won't throw you out of a window and break your neck? Uh, Bud lost the chance with a hot babe that wanted to have sex one for one and only one time and, you know, her only time. And uh, because he has breasts... That reminds me, have you ever seen the movie um, Just One of the Guys? (laughs) When uh, the dude kisses the other dude at the prom and he goes, don't worry everyone, he has tits. (laughs) Because it was really a girl. But not in Bud's case. Now see, Bud, you know, it's not the worst thing in the world, his situation. I mean, a bisexual chick would have a field day with him, you know? I mean, you got everything right there. Al chains himself to the goalpost. Aaron's here again. Wow yeah i'm starting to see why i didn't remember him i'll get to bug bite by kelly's bug just classic you knew when he turned around you'd see a bug on his back al passed up a burger and fries and the fries were curly like a mouse's tail come on you know what that is you know the references guys i believe in you i know you do no, he didn't pass it up. No, not so much. I guess when a bulldozer's coming at you and, and the guy is not afraid to murder somebody, uh then yeah, I guess um I guess you just give up. This is a story with no winners, only losers. <clears throat> wow. What an ending. But of course Al doesn't care. He's just like in this uh well, I guess where I should be, a coat like a tent that nobody could uh, go near him. You know, this is like one of those low key episodes that are just an episode where it's not a big deal. It's like yeah, it was alright. You know, it's good. Uh, it was definitely one of those. Um, but I think, despite being that in the end, I think the writing was actually pretty solid. I think they really thought this one out. You know, there's a lot of a lot of layers to this episode. You know, they really they wrote a lot of plot devices, and the B story was just as stimulating and blended in with the a story you know her bringing the beetle over to al and and that being the reason the whole thing is shut down and uh you think it was just for gags and you think it was just for buck changing gags and bud changing gags but no i mean it infiltrated the entire episode i mean it's actually good plot devices i mean just the addition of the key getting run over by a train and then we should run over the lock and then it'll work (laughs) what an addition to add to that scene Uh, amazing it's actually very it's a better episode than than probably meets the eye so uh i will view it as such and i will give it a four out of five i really like that i like things that are thought out that way and of course everyone's performances were great everybody even peg you know again a nothing peg episode but when Marcy said to her, she goes, oh, maybe I could do do that. I could get a million dollars. How'd you do it? She's like, oh, well, I worked for it." And the look on Peg's face. I mean, that alone, I, I give her the, yeah, you know, good job on this episode just for that face. Even though she really didn't have much more uh, impact. Wow, this turned out to be longer than anything. I guess when I'm like all delirious from COVID or whatever, like uh, maybe I just ramble on like I was bitten by an African beetle, you know? All right, guys, uh, hopefully I could record one next week. If there's a delay, uh, well, I guess we'll see what happens next week.
2: That's all, folks!
4: Thank you for tuning in for this week. Uh, tune in next week as um, the Merited Children podcast reviews Season 8, Episode 20, The Darcy Files. Jefferson reveals his secret past to Marcy, when he tells her that he is an ex-CIA spy in a witness relocation program. Meanwhile, Al gets conflicting emotions when he is offered a $50,000 reward by a certain Walter Troggett, a shady thug who is looking for Jefferson. Elsewhere, Peggy has a toothache from a broken tooth, and Telly and Bud dress up as bums at the mall to acquire more cash for themselves. But for now, we can say goodbye from down under here in Australia. We're serving a VB, 4X, 2E Extra Dry, uh, James Squire. Oh, we've got all the Australian beers on tap here, mate. And some Bundaberg rum to go for it too. But until then, goodbye. <laughs>